is the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, and we're committed to the success of women entrepreneurs and majority women-owned companies across Canada. As a proud partner of the Thrive Podcast, we're here to help you start, grow, or scale your business. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women today. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Thrive Podcast for Women Entrepreneurs. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. You're listening to The Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. On The Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and other support to help you make your vision a reality even faster. This podcast is presented in partnership with Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcasts to subscribe to the Thrive community and subscribe to listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. Finally, we'd love for you to rate this podcast and leave a review on iTunes for the chance to have it read on air. We want these shows to impact as many people as possible and your reviews will help us get there. I'm your host, Gomal Minhas, founder of CoreSpace, your one-stop shop for all things work, wellness, and impact. Visit kaur.space to find out more. I'm also the producer of Dream Girl, the documentary film showcasing the lives of inspiring and ambitious female entrepreneurs that we premiered at the Obama White House. I'm so happy to be here today. Welcome to the show. On today's show, we're speaking to Nilifer Erdebel, who is the CEO of Spring to Innovation. Nilifer is an award-winning design thinker. Her company, Spring to Innovation, provides consulting and training services to the largest organizations in Canada. Throughout her career, she has always been very passionate about technology, business, commercializing technology, and navigating change. Nilifer is the 2014 recipient of the Ottawa Business Journal 40 Under 40 Award and a 2016 recipient of the WCT Leadership Award from Women in Communications and Technology. Not only that, but she is also a successful TEDx Ottawa speaker. Background-wise, Ms. Erdebel is a professional engineer with a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering and an MBA from Queen's University. Welcome to the show, Nilifer. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. I always love starting off with a, 
an origin story. So can you tell us a little bit about what got you into engineering in the first place? Uh, what start and then what started your journey uh, to entrepreneurship? Yeah, that's a great question. And so um, I was always good at maths and sciences in school. And uh, it really helped out that um, my dad's an engineer, and uh, actually my grandfather's an engineer as well too. And wow, so, a long line of engineers. Yeah, and it's it's one of those broad areas that um, covers so much. And so um, I didn't know very much about it even when I went in. I just knew that I was good at math and science, and that would be good for engineering. Um, at the same time, I was actually thinking about uh, doing business school too, and uh, my parents really encouraged me to go into engineering as a base, and then I could always do an MBA afterwards. And so I think I've always had starting a business in mind, um, just that entrepreneurial spirit, even growing up, you know, the lemonade stands, the, um, for a while I was selling, uh, I was making and selling jewelry, um, for a while I was doing uh, cupcakes way before Martha Stewart got into it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's all these things. uh, I just, that's the way my mind thought from an early age. That's incredible. And and it's neat when we notice those patterns in our own life and see how that can lead us to what we ultimately become, especially as entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like, uh, I I feel like I'm still uh, growing as an entrepreneur. There's always new opportunities, um, new ways of growing the business or other businesses as well, too. So when it did come to building your business, what led you to create Spring to Innovation? Uh, So um, for building Spring to Innovation, uh, I'd worked in uh, a telecom company um, and uh, we had innovation centers open. And uh, I thought what they were trying to do was really great. And I wanted to be able to apply to other organizations as well. Uh, What I didn't realize uh, at the time, too, was that not many people were talking about innovation at that time. And so I started out trying to do innovation consulting and help set up innovation labs. But I ended up teaching people what innovation was. And then people want to learn how do you become more innovative. And I'd already been using design thinking practices. And so then I started doing training courses on design thinking and facilitating design thinking sessions to get people to think a little bit differently, be more creative, innovative, and uh, use a process and methodology doing it as well. Okay, so when what do you define innovation as? Yeah, innovation can mean so many different things. <laughs> and uh, I, I laugh too because uh, I hear the word innovation or innovative all the time applied to all sorts of things. Uh, the other day I was looking at... Uh, um, rental space, uh, innovative rental space. And I'm like, what, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> it and, does sound like a jargony buzzword these days, yeah. but there's a, there's a deep rooting in it. Yeah, yeah, there is. And so uh, my definition uh, is uh, likely that it's uh, doing things in a different way, um, uh, in a way that hasn't been done in your particular area, vertical or sector. And it's uh, creating some sort of a benefit or value for your end users. Okay, and then when design thinking came into your world, was it a natural way that you saw how to solve problems? Or was it something that you were taught and you were like, this is the thing, this is the way that we can become innovative? Yeah, I I didn't realize it at the time, but uh, when I was working at the uh, Telco's uh, Innovation Center, uh, we were using a lot of aspects of design thinking, but didn't have a label for it. It was just 
a good way to get input from uh, end users as we were developing products and services. And uh, it made sense to me too. And so I started applying it without knowing that I was actually applying a methodology and that there was a name for it. And as we do training, I find some people are better at it or find they're doing it more intuitively. And so, um, which is good. Uh, and then uh, as we talk through and uh, do the training sessions, we kind of put some structure around it so that the, they understand the overall process and how it feeds into organizations and the structures that they already use in organizations. So you do this work with massive organizations. Yeah. So what is it like to bring design thinking into organizations that are comprised of tens, hundreds of people? Uh, it's uh, really exciting, actually, because uh, it helps them uh, look at challenges from a different perspective, uh, one that they hadn't looked at. And each organization and each team within every organization is different in terms of uh, what innovation means to them and um, how far they could use design thinking. And so what I mean by that is... Uh, um, some organizations have been using aspects of design thinking. They have, they're, um, they're not risk averse. And so there's a lot more leeway and things that you could do with design thinking. And then uh, other organizations that um, might be a little bit more risk averse still find a lot of value in design thinking because it gets them to shift up how they've been thinking about uh, the programs, policies, and services that they're creating so that they're looking at it from an end user perspective and they're also able to innovate within their own realm. And as they do the training or as we do facilitation with them, uh, their perspective on life overall changes as well too, which is really amazing to see and hear about. And uh, it doesn't take very long either. Hmm. It's like almost like you're just putting them on a new path, like a little yeah. adjustment to get them there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how would you describe design thinking for those folks who maybe haven't heard this term before? Yeah, so design thinking is looking at challenges from an end user perspective. And so end user can be anything from a client or a customer, uh, essentially anybody that's going to be using what you've produced. So it's slightly different than stakeholder. Stakeholder can include people that are, are champions, but end user is about who's going to be using your product, process, or service at the end of the day. And it's, it's keeping in mind um, what are their challenges, what are their values, um, what are some of their fears, what do they want out of the products and services, and then um, what how do they use your products and services currently and how do they want to be using it going forward and then co-creating solutions with those end users and i myself am we're actually in this really interesting phase with my company where we're starting to do plan a design sprint so um a five-day kind of immersive let's product hack and figure this out from that user-centered design perspective but I find that there's so much you have to be open to in the process. Yeah. And as an owner operator, I can feel myself like get rigid at different points where it's like so many assumptions are being tested. So many like beliefs are being tested and even just taking something to a user base when it's not fully designed. Like that's scary. It is. So how do you work with their, your clients to like work through sort of all of these rough spots <laughs> that yeah. they might be experiencing. And so um, whenever possible, we do a little bit within the team 
before we take it out to their end clients so that they get familiar with the process and, and the methodology. But it, it's always scary. Like, uh, every couple of years, I actually apply design thinking to my own business. Right, totally. <laughs> and then go out and actually talk to my end clients. And even myself, I'm like, I know this is the right thing to do, but it's still super uncomfortable. And at the end of the day, um, I see it all the time. Your end clients want to make your products and services better and they want to make it um, they want to help you out and they want to be part of that co-creation component of it and so um, as they go through the process with those end clients every step of the way they see the value in it and then um, we push them a little bit further to the next step and do the work themselves and with the end client and uh, um, they're able to expand their boundaries more with each step and each iteration. Mm, that's so cool. And it's such a innovative process. Um, oh, I just used jargon, but also <laughs> the core word of this conversation. Yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit about your passion for doing it for larger organizations, but for those smaller startups and founders who might be listening, what are some interesting ways they could apply design thinking to how they are running their businesses and creating their products? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And so, um, like, I do use it on my own business, too. And uh, it's about, uh, first of all, looking at who do you want to create your products and your services for, and then actually going out and talking to them. And what? <laughs> I know. <I'm> just, <laughs> just finding out uh, uh, what makes them tick and what would make them want to purchase your products, what would make them not want to purchase it. Um, and we do some empathy mapping, too, with organizations. And uh, it's it could be very valuable for uh, startups as well is um, what are your uh, end clients saying and then what are they actually doing? Because sometimes it's two different things. Mm as they're interacting with your product or your service, and then uh, what are they thinking, and then also what are they feeling? And so the thinking and the feeling aspect of it gets at unarticulated needs. And the real value in talking with them is trying to get at those unarticulated needs, and that's where there's the most opportunity for becoming more creative and also reframing too. So how do you go from, how do you extrapolate thinking, feeling out of the people that you're interviewing or the end user. Yeah, so it's it's essentially just asking them, mm. but um, it, it's also building up that trust along the way too, helping them understand what you're doing as an organization, as a startup, um, and then uh, getting to know them and letting them get to know you. Well, we develop personas uh, as well with the end clients, and that kind of starts out as a warm-up for them so that when it comes time to do the thinking and feeling component of it, they're a little bit more relaxed. Mm. But it's uh, the empathy mapping is definitely the one um, method in there that a lot of uh, larger organizations try not to do, but it's also the one that brings out the most value. Why do you think they err on the side of, avoiding it? I, I think uh, in organizations, uh, we're not comfortable asking people what they think or what they feel. Mm. And uh, it, even um, even for uh, startups, I think it's the same too. Is, uh, as humans, especially in the society that we're in, uh, it's not something we do on a regular basis. Because think about uh, the last time you were in an organization and they asked you truly what you thought mm. and listened. Yeah. 
because it can make us test our own assumptions and beliefs. And it could also make us change our products and services. That's right. And we always feel like, no, we're right when maybe we're not. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, we can put ourselves in the end client's shoes, but that end client is the best person to talk about what they want and what they need. Right. And I feel like just as it, as I think about it in my own business, we can become so fearful of what our end client actually thinks and feels and wants when it's like, even if we're wrong, we can make things better yeah. and actually serve them. Yeah, it's better to know not and then rather than not to know. Yeah, yeah, and just keep building a product that maybe might not have a product market fit with your end user. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the time people can think that um, design thinking maybe should be applied to physical products um, and, you know, person-to-person services. But how does it apply in a digital space? Yeah, so in the digital space, um, so there's a big push right now around... um, a digital, uh, lots of new technologies are coming out. Lots of startups are working on uh, on digital technologies as well, which is great. But then uh, the design thinking aspect of it is looking at it from an end user perspective. And so it really helps out if organizations have technologies uh, that they want to commercialize. And so by going out and actually talking to those end clients and understanding what they want, what they don't want, what they're willing to put up with and not put up with, um, organizations will be able to create products that are more likely to be successful in market. And so this is a really fascinating area because uh, Canada as a whole has struggled with commercialization in the past. I know we have some uh, really great uh, businesses, large organizations that have done really well too, but in terms of the startup realm, in order to become really successful, we have to look at things from an end user perspective and make sure that there's that we're actually solving challenges for them. And so from a a digital realm, especially um, I know here in Ottawa and uh, other parts of Canada too, um, we're getting into a lot of uh, Internet of Things. And so it's uh, physical objects are actually producing data for us to be able to interact with. And it's really important to um, know what that information is, understand it, but then also apply it. And in order to be able to apply it successfully, you need to understand who those end clients are, what they want, what they need, what are their challenges, and uh, how they want to use that information. And so um, we have uh, we have a two-day course uh, that uh, builds on some of this digital transformation with uh, Internet of Things and design thinking to be able to help people look and understand the technology, but also the people side of applying that technology. And what do you think makes digital-first companies or online companies less likely to keep the end user in mind? Um, I think uh, a lot of organizations are really good at R&D and the technology itself. And uh, sometimes uh, they do the research to understand the markets that they should go into. But uh, those markets evolve, and the user's needs change, too. Um, I know in today's day and age, expectations are shifting extremely fast, um, especially with uh, some of the other organizations that are out there that do extremely well with um, setting and raising end client uh, expectations. Those expectations end up falling into other markets as well. So, for example, like with Amazon, uh, uh, I talk about this, and I'm not kidding, is uh, last night my kids ordered something on Amazon, and we have Prime, and so 
they're like, it's got to get here, you know, tomorrow before 4 p.m. kind of a deal. And, and it does. And it does. And yeah. so um, even though you might know the technology and the market well when you start out, it starts to shift. And, and design thinking is not something you do one-off. It's it's doing it iteratively. And so as technologies change, so do the people. And keeping that in mind as you're developing your business and your startup. So continue to make it design thinking a part of the nature of your business. Yeah, exactly. And that's where there's actually also huge opportunities for entrepreneurs and for startups is when those larger organizations that have owned that space for a long time take their eye off of their end clients. And as an entrepreneur in a startup, you can take a look at those opportunity as opportunities to build businesses from and grow them. Awesome. So can you share an example of a case study or a client that you worked with, no names necessary, um, where it was super successful, uh, the outcomes from the design thinking process you implemented and your work with them, folks who maybe weren't as nervous about asking their end users about how they think and feel. <laughs> um, it's really funny, actually. Uh, one of the clients that I have in mind, uh, they, they brought me in to do a design thinking facilitation for them, a two-day session. And... Uh, they were really nervous about bringing their end clients in <laughs> still. <laughs> and uh, uh, and so um, uh, they'd already decided to do it, and uh, they'd sent out the invites. And so uh, we brought the uh, end clients in, and uh, it was actually four organizations from across Canada. And um, we went through, uh, through the sessions, and, and one of the things we did was uh, find out, um, develop personas for each of the end clients that they had brought in. And as they were even developing the personas, there was so much value added in terms of uh, understanding those end clients better, understanding their challenges better, um, that I honestly, uh, the ahas kind of started going up really quickly and... Um, and so we did uh, personas for each of the four organizations um, that this uh, that they were servicing, and they were all quite different, and their needs were quite different. And um, and then we went into the empathy mapping as well with them, and just the the problems that they had mentioned uh, seemed like they were super easy to solve, and so they were able to actually start solving those problems right away and didn't even realize that those were problems for their end client. And so they were actually able to uh, create a better environment with their end clients with no additional funding required. Wow. Because they, they just didn't know what their problems were until we brought them all together to talk about it in that structured format. And so uh, even though they were super hesitant initially about bringing their end clients in, at the end they were like, design thinking is the best thing ever. we got to bring in our end clients a lot more. And uh, they just they, they saw the real value and benefit and were able to make changes right away. Mm. So what would you say are some of the values and benefits of implementing design thinking within our organizations? Yeah, it's, uh, it's about understanding your clients better and understanding what their challenges are so that you could solve them. And so it's often in organizations we go in and it's natural for us to jump to solutions because we, w we want to solve, uh, we want to make things better. Um, Sometimes we think about pulling back and analyzing what the problem really is. And then with design thinking, it's pulling back a little bit more and understanding who are the people involved in the problem 
and what do they think their problem is and then actually trying to solve their problem as opposed to what you as an organization or as a startup think their problem is. Mm. It really democratizes entrepreneurship in a way in terms of like it makes you even more effective and impactful as a business because you're truly with with your people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. As an entrepreneur, as a large organization, as a government organization, it's uh, it's all about knowing the people that you're trying to serve. Mm. So design thinking keeps you from staying in your bubble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's being open to those ideas, though, too. Mm. Is uh, sometimes uh, we might hear things we don't want to hear, but it, like you said earlier, it's being open to hearing what they're saying and why they're saying it, and then how can you reframe your own thoughts based on what you're hearing from them? Mm. And what characteristics in the individuals you work with that make up these organizations lead to that flexibility, lead to that sort of openness, um, and and you, you see it applied best within the organization? Like what self-awareness do we need to have when we're coming into a design thinking space. I think uh, the open-mindedness is uh, really important and also be- willing to empathize as well. We're, we're fortunate because uh, most of the time when organizations uh, want to try design thinking, they're bringing us in. And so they already have that mindset, that openness. Um, sometimes we're brought into organizations when uh, they've tried to traditional methodologies and it's not working mm. and they want to try something different and then that's when we get brought in okay and the other time that we get brought in is when people want to try things from a different perspective something new something creative okay super cool so when you're looking at your business like what what motivates you every day like what are those internal motivators for you that keep you going that keep you pumped about your work we, uh, we spend a lot of time doing training in organizations, too, and so uh, building the capacity in organizations so that uh, people can apply it to their own work. And uh, it's just it's seeing that change of perspective, that change of mindset as we're doing the training, um, and then seeing them take it back to their organizations and applying it and either hearing through them or other people what they're doing within their organization and how great the sessions were just it uh yeah it it makes us super happy and and really uh, lets us know that we're making a difference in the world and uh, even if it's changing mindsets within the organization it's a big plus but it's also changing products and services that are out there for people to consume and and sometimes it's also for government as well in uh, either internal or uh, citizen facing products and services and so then we get to see the change in in our lives in the near future. Wow and when we're looking at applying design thinking or starting to learn about design thinking what would you suggest to people to get learn up on it or to start finding out more about how they can apply it in their organizations? That's a really good question. And, and so, um, yeah, design thinking can mean uh, different things to different organizations. But if you're interested, um, I have a TEDx video. Yes! <laughs> you can start from there. There's actually a lot of uh, information available online on design thinking. Um, and so uh, for those that are interested in applying design thinking and learning more about it, I'd want 
uh, you to think about uh, what's the challenge that you want to solve with design thinking. And usually um, we tell people that design thinking is great when there's challenges involving people. If it's uh, making processes more efficient, then we recommend things like lean. But if there's a people component to it, then definitely a design thinking. Um, there's a lot of great books out there as well around it. Um, I don't know if I have one particular favorite, but there's a whole bunch out there where you can take um, portions of it. Um, I'm biased because uh, we do have the training too. And so uh, we do the training in a way where it's super hands-on and people can apply it um, during the session so that they have an understanding of it. And so if you're looking at uh, applying design thinking in your work environment, do some reading, start out with like smaller projects and try to apply aspects of, uh, of what you're reading and, uh, and hearing about. Um, and then if you really want to delve deeper into it, uh, um, there's a uh, think about doing a training course uh, around it and one where you can actually apply what you're learning along the way too and find other people that are like-minded as well too that are either thinking about doing design thinking in their organizations or have done it and then you can create communities within your organization or even within startup groups to communities that uh, are applying and want to apply more design thinking. Just to go back to something you mentioned uh, earlier, can you explain what Lean is, just in case our audience isn't familiar? Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, Lean's another uh, different methodology that organizations use to um, usually make processes more efficient. And so um, it's a way of um, either reducing the amount of time or reducing the errors in a process. And, uh, and so excellent methodology, but like with all methodologies, there's a place and a purpose for it. Absolutely. Thank you also for sharing all the resources. I feel like people might do deep dives now into design thinking after hearing this. I know that I will be doing my own version of that um, in prep for our design thinking situation. But an, a question that I like to get into or a section I like to get into is about our well-being as entrepreneurs. So what are some strategies or um, habits you've implemented for yourself to be healthy while you're building your business? Yeah, that's a really good question. And so um, I'm a very active person. And so I try to do um, as much stuff outdoors as possible and, and physical, um, whether it's uh, skiing or um, I actually biked in today. <laughs> but uh, trying to tie it in uh, and weave it in through with other things that I'm doing in my life. Uh, for example, um, I have two kids, two boys, 10 and 12. And uh, every fall, uh, they take swimming lessons. And uh, I was able to find a, a swimming pool that actually had uh, lane swimming open for parents of the kids that were taking. That's so great. <laughs> yeah. And so it allows me to do things that I want to do, uh, while at the same time making sure uh, that the kids are getting the training that they need as well, too. And, and same with uh, skiing. Uh, I love skiing, and they're really into skiing as well, so we could do it all at the same time. Hmm. And what sorts of uh, supports or resources have you found really effective for you in your business, um, maybe particularly as a female entrepreneur? Um, so uh, I have a number of mentors and coaches. <laughs> um, I know um, I'm a part of Canadian Women in Communications and Technology, and um, I had a phenomenal mentor that I met about 14 years ago, Janice McDonald, who's been really... The former host of Thrive. <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> she's, she's phenomenal. Um, 
Uh, I do uh, a lot of work with uh, Startup Canada as well, too. So uh, uh, we're big uh, sponsors of their um, Startup Day on the Hill. And so uh, we do some hackathons for them there, too. Um, and then uh, I myself also belong to Tech Canada, um, which is an organization for uh, business owners. Uh, they go f- anywhere from growth businesses to medium and large size organizations. And so I like to hang out with other people that are like-minded, but also looking to grow their businesses. And so it's it's a different mindset than um, having a job and working for somebody else. And that's some of the challenges that come up. Others don't have to face or don't know what it's like to be in that environment. And so it's nice to be able to share and also uh, work through some of those challenges with others that are going through similar things. Absolutely. Um, Thank you for sharing all of those as well. I find that it's so nice to hear about the ecosystem in Canada um, that is available to us as as entrepreneurs and, and women entrepreneurs. Um, and that mentorship is so key. Uh, my next question for you is one that I ask all of our guests um, as we wrap up our conversation. But what advice do you have for our listeners, for them to thrive in their businesses and their lives? I, I think um, a part of uh, design thinking that we didn't th- talk about very much is um, the prototyping and testing aspect of it. So keeping in mind that um, nothing has to be permanent. Uh, there's different alternatives that you can take in life and also in your business. And so go out and try something. And if it doesn't work, then try something else. And uh, if it doesn't work, that's information that you're being given about your product or your service. It's not necessarily that your company's a failure. It's just that might not necessarily be what your end clients want. And so... Um, it really helps me to think that uh, I'm always prototyping and it, it doesn't have to be permanent. And the same uh, in life as well, too, is uh, um, it's okay to just start something. And if it's not working or if it's not doing what you wanted to do, to switch it up. And uh, so it could be anything from uh, um, activities that you're doing to organizations that you're working with or volunteering with. Just keep in mind that nothing is permanent and what you're doing now, you're learning from. And then you can apply it later. And you never know when you're going to apply it, but uh, it's it's information and keeping that in mind. Hmm. Two very, very important uh, pieces, of, pieces of advice. And you mentioned this at the top of, of your response, but... I know I said that would be my last question and I do this all the time, but I think it is uh, useful for our listeners to know, like, what are the different parts of the design thinking process? Yeah, I I didn't touch on that very much. I'm sorry. I know it's okay. I'm sorry I didn't follow (laughs) up on it, but here we have the opportunity. Yeah, so uh, design thinking has uh, five phases and you start out with the empathizing component and that's where we do the personas, the empathy maps and the journey maps or customer experience maps. And then uh, the second phase is defining what your challenge is. Now that you've understood who your end clients are what is their real challenge what's the one that you should start solving first once you define that challenge then it's coming up with ideas and then from those ideas trying to figure out which ones you want to prototype and test with your end clients and I find when you do the prototyping and testing with your end clients you're going to get really valuable information on what they're going to want and not want and then uh, be able to either figure out 
whether or not you need to do another iteration of design thinking or um, go out and start implementing it. And uh, you, you just, you never know what uh, your end users are, are going to say either. I, I've been... Uh, so as part of our five-day certification program, uh, we have people going out and doing design thinking in their work environment and uh, doing prototyping and testing. And then uh, they have to write it up. And uh, I read the write-ups and I think, oh, those are great prototypes. And then I have my favorites. And then I read on and I'm like, oh, wow, uh, their end clients didn't like the ones that I liked. And uh, and and they're all so fascinated, too, that uh, the end clients didn't like the ones that they favored as well, too. But at the end of the day, it's all about who's going to be using your products and your services. And um, as you're doing prototyping and testing with your end clients, you're also starting to build in a group of people that are going to become champions for you because they were part of creating that product or that service. And uh, we talked a lot about using design thinking for external clients, but it can also be used internally within organizations too. Um, and so uh, when I mentioned earlier too, we use design thinking for things involving people as well. People bring us in when things aren't working well. Um, sometimes a combination of the two as well when uh, teams aren't working well together. Uh, we get brought in to help them think through what the challenges are amongst the teams using design thinking. So it can be used not only for internal conflict resolution, but also or like inner whatever disjointedness is happening between within personnel, but also for these end users. Exactly. Yeah. Lots of different applications all around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we could apply it to our families as well. That's at some right. Point. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I try sometimes. <laughs> do, do your family members call you out on it? <laughs> uh, my kids usually don't. No. <laughs> they wouldn't know. <laughs> they, they, they don't know yet. <laughs> They're like, Mom, is that what you've been doing all these years? <laughs> no, no, totally not. <laughs> but thank you so much, Nilo, for, for sharing so much about design thinking and about your business and, and what you've built. And I so appreciate having you on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's been really lots of fun. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC and Scotiabank for helping us elevate women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook Resources for Women Entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rivers Corbett. Make sure to visit CoreSpace, K-A-U-R dot space to learn to better integrate work, wellness, and impact into your everyday life. Until next time, I'm Gomal Minhas. It's time to thrive. <laughs>